0: Now a reading from Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. I'll be reading through verse 17 from the Common English Bible. My friends, you were chosen to be free. So don't use your freedom as an excuse to do anything you want. Use it as an opportunity to serve each other with love. All that the law says can be summed up in the command to love others as much as you love yourself. But if you keep attacking each other like wild animals, you had better watch out or you will destroy yourselves. If you are guided by the Spirit, you won't obey your selfish desires. The Spirit and your desires are enemies of each other. They are always fighting each other and keeping you from doing what you feel you really should. Here ends the reading. May God grant us wisdom and courage for interpretation. As of Tuesday this past week, one in every 410 Oklahomans have died of COVID 19 since March 2020. One in 410. At the national level, approximately one in every 500 American citizens have died of COVID-19 since March 2020. One in 500. Wearing masks when indoors in large groups, getting vaccinated are really the only things in addition to social distancing that human beings are told on a daily basis by all of the scientists and virtually all of the doctors and the experts that we can do tangibly to slow the spread of the coronavirus. And still, we have large sections of our population in this country and elsewhere for that matter, but disproportionately in the United States, literally poisoning themselves and others. By refusing to get vaccinated when they technically could, attending large indoor gatherings completely unmasked without social distancing, and then to top it off, taking animal dewormer and now drinking iodine instead of getting vaccinated, both of which have been proven not to prevent or treat COVID 19, though they will make you wormless. I was shocked. To discover recently that Fox News, a network who has had several opinion and editorial program hosts downplaying the importance of getting vaccinated, such as Tucker Carlson, Laura Trump, and others, has actually privately, very privately, mandated that all of their employees get vaccinated. Proof that some of this rhetoric is just that all talk. At the most foundational level, I came to yet another personal realization about how out of hand the politicization of COVID has gotten. I thought about it this way. I guess I'm slow. If the folks who are vocally anti-vaccine, anti-mask, pro-dewormer, pro-iodine treatments of COVID actually believed their messaging that doctors and experts cannot be trusted... When they get deathly ill with the Delta variant, with COVID, why do they at long last seek to be hospitalized when they're so sick and cared for by medical professionals, the same ones they lambast and discredit? I submit to you that their rhetoric is for show. What a shame how many lives have been lost for this show. Now, switching topics, but not really switching the underlying root issue, which we will get to shortly. Climate change, on one hand, is a more complex-seeming challenge for those who struggle to comprehend this life-threatening situation because, well, climate change seems less urgent and less imminent. I mean, after all, it was colder here in Oklahoma last winter than any I can remember. How about you? Isn't this proof, since it was cold last winter, that the globe isn't really warming? No. Once again, misinformation definitely plays a huge role in educating the general public about the dangers of climate change, and one reason the majority of climate scientists, over 97%, no longer call it global warming, is largely due to the fact that they do not want our citizens to seek out isolated events like last winter in Oklahoma, to point to it and say, see, there's no such thing. While temperatures of the earth as a whole are in fact rising, to put pencil to paper, 0.14 degrees Fahrenheit per decade from 1880 to 1980, and from 1980 until today, more than double that rate, 0.32 degrees Fahrenheit per decade, this pattern of warming results in extreme shifts to the historic norms of our weather patterns in many regions of the earth. Again, this is why scientists have moved away from calling it global warming to calling it climate change because that's really more descriptive of what's happening. The radical shifting of sea level itself as well as the precipitation patterns and the rapid increase of greenhouse gases in the atmosphere have brought us to the point where this home we call earth, that has been gifted to us by the creator and left in our care may, in fact, be damaged beyond repair. The consensus on whether we are currently too late to save the Earth, well, it varies. But all climate scientists generally agree that we are on track to average between a, not not 0.45, but 4.5 to 8 degree Fahrenheit increase in global temperatures by the year 2100. That's not so far away. Our actions today can determine if we're on the lower end of that 4.5 to 8 degree temperature increase by 2100, or if we're on the higher end of that increase. And you know something? A few degrees may determine whether or not there is a sustainable future for the earth and for however many generations to follow. At the core of, well usually partisan political arguments on the part of those that tend to deny the legitimacy of climate science, we find a problematic flaw that, in my opinion, is an ethical and moral flaw. It's actually a similar moral and ethical flaw to the one at the root of the argument by those who minimize or deny the deadly seriousness of COVID-19 and this global pandemic. Though COVID is about a virus and climate change is about the environment, both of these matters are very much the greatest threats to human existence as we know it. And both actually share a common sticking point, a similar moral and ethical dilemma. And for Christians, it should matter. How do my personal freedoms... And daily actions relate to the well-being of the rest of the world. To say it another way, is there any moral or ethical justification for doing as I please in what suits me best if it hurts someone else? Obviously, large portions of the general public either have found such justification or they simply do not care how their individual freedoms or choices affect the rest of us. But since we are not everyone else, we are the people who endeavor to follow the man named Jesus of Nazareth. I want to spend the rest of this sermon not speaking from an American perspective, certainly not speaking from a partisan political perspective at all, but from a decidedly Christian perspective about how we respond when our personal freedoms affect the well-being of everyone else. Because our personal freedoms are decidedly different when it comes to expressing our freedoms as people of faith and goodwill. Simply because I might have a right to do or not do as I please as an American citizen, does not necessarily mean I have the right to do whatever I please from a decidedly Christian or moral or ethical position. Not everything, in other words, that is technically legal is always soundly ethical. Or in faith language, not everything that might be permissible to do is always the loving thing to do. In Paul's letter to the Galatians, it seems as if the church was divided into camps, not even in the community, but even in the church. There were those who believed that freedom meant license to do whatever one pleased. I remember a noted 20th century novelist saying that what is good is what you feel good after doing, and what is bad is what you feel bad after doing. I'm not sure I agree. The Gnostics were a group within first-century Christian communities who tended to echo that sentiment. They tended to value personal experience and immediate gratification over the traditional teachings of ethics and morals and of the Christian faith. The Gnostics wouldn't have gone exactly in that direction. What they would have said, though, is that setting the human spirit free from matter and flesh is the whole point of life and, and that what you actually do literally, in, in physical sense, is of little qu- consequence. So it's all about the Spirit. Do whatever you please. Can you see why that could become dangerous if we bear no responsibility to that which is right in front of us? But only something later it still plagues us today. They were very much individualists, these Gnostic folks, Christianity has always, among other things, included a radical call to connect to the wider community and to act, even sacrificially, in the best interest of the greater good. So it was in response to these Gnostic individualists, the folks who tended to favor individual freedoms and me-first behavior, that Paul replied, Do not use your freedom for self-indulgence, but through love become servants of one another, for the whole law is summed up in this single commandment, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Then there was another faction at the church at Galatia, and it was made up of those who thought it was imperative to adhere to the requirements of religious ritual, the most significant of which to them was circumcision. That crowd would have said that freedom in the spiritual or Christian sense is all well and good but that they felt much more secure remaining inside the old framework of basically a thousand do's and don'ts and rules and regulations. You know, like Grandma Allen used to say, David, don't drink or chew or go with girls who do. Paul was passionately convinced that observing the ritual or not observing ritual really was of no consequence. So for Paul, and I believe for Jesus, there was a deeper or higher calling. Uh, According to Paul, the only thing that counts is faith working itself out through love. If you have faith, you will have loving action, or your faith doesn't mean a hoot, as my grandma Alan would have also said. This is where things get difficult, I think. For those of us who are both American and Christian, Christians uh, and Americans, rather, rather Americans, separate from Christianity, tend to rely on the fact that civil liberty is a function of being faithful to the Constitution of the United States, which in turn, hopefully, leads towards justice and liberty for all. But each generation of Christian, each generation of Jesus followers, or just people who have a moral compass, must learn anew that liberty and justice is a function of fidelity, not to the Constitution, but in terms of faith, fidelity to the law of love, which is much more challenging than the laws in the Constitution. This is also far more demanding and also very difficult to clarify. There's a lot of room for interpretation when it comes to what it does it mean to love my neighbor as myself. And there's a lot of room for justification of, well, pretty poor behavior in attempting to fulfill the law of love. Now, I'm not speaking of love, hear me, in a, in a moonlight and violins sort of way, though I like both of those things. I'm speaking of love through our hardwired, hard-edged world And we can use all the romance we can muster, but I'm speaking of love in the sense in which Jesus spoke of love when he voiced the great commandment to love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and strength and mind. He was emphasizing ethics over emotion. The great 20th century religious thinker Reinhold Niebuhr put it this way. Basically, love means being responsible Responsible to our family, toward our civilization, and now, by the pressures of history, toward the universe of humankind. Faith means being responsible. To be truly free in the deepest, most decidedly Christian sense of the word freedom really means to be liberated from the prison of being driven primarily by me, myself, and I. I. To be truly free is to be able to move beyond the commitment only to oneself, as one who is wise has put it, and to move into the risk of love and to give oneself to the demand of service. To be free is to be free for responsibility, not from responsibility. Did you hear me? To be free is to be free for Responsibility, not from responsibility. Now I think of how Jesus, who had everything in the world going for himself—power and status and safety—and how he chose, he freely chose to empty himself and take on the form of a servant for the sake of the world, especially those who had been cast out because of their race, their religion, the color of their skin, their socioeconomic status, or their poor health. Now that is freedom in the Christian sense. I think of how God made us as one human family, irrevocably bound to one another in God's heart and mind from the very beginning so that we are by nature inclined toward one another when we get it right. We are one another's keeper. The need of one another is really one of our deepest needs. And the suffering of the other is, a real, in a real sense, our suffering, too. I sometimes use a little test that the great Frederick Beegner suggests when it comes to what is right, what is true. I use it to make sure I'm still a functioning, free, moral agent. Beekner once wrote, If you have not cried for someone other than yourself in the last year, chances are you are already dead. Now that's a good place to start. Empathy. Having feelings of compassion for the other. But but I know I haven't passed that little test completely until I've actually done something. I've made a call. I've cooked some food. I've written a note, I've offered comfort, I've stood up for someone whose voice is not being heard. How did Paul put it? The only thing that matters is faith working itself out in love. Freedom and responsibility belong together in our lives and in the life of our beloved communities of faith like this one. The same is true, I believe, for our nation if we actually want this to be a place where everyone is not just out for their own best interest, but instead are actually concerned about one another in our progress and growth as a wider community. One of America's greatest gifts to the world is this notion, I believe, of religious liberty. The state cannot impose religion and all our citizens are free to exercise religion or not according to their own wishes. But that does not mean that people of faith do not have a crucial role to play in the life and the fabric of our nation. As people of faith, we ought to be working every day from within the system to create a society by our own actions that is marked by concern for the common good. We ought to be listening for the voices of those who are not being heard. We ought to be speaking out against excessive self-indulgence and naming the corrosive consequences of greed that goes unchecked. Paul put it so plainly in this regard. If you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. I believe that we are called to be a servant people, bringing good news to the oppressed, modeling peace, modeling justice, proclaiming liberty to those who are captive. Can you think of a time that called for moral leadership more than the troubled days in which we live? I cannot. Oh, what an opportunity we have Oh, what a responsibility we have to repair, to raise up, to build up, to offer hope and wholeness and healing for all those who mourn in our midst and even beyond our shores. As for COVID-19 and personal freedoms, in lot of what I understand, to answer some of your questions in the survey you provided me with, As for COVID-19 and personal freedoms, in light of what I understand about Christian freedom, I do not believe there is a moral argument for carelessness. There should be no religious exemption, as some are selfishly seeking, at least in our tradition, for not getting vaccinated, for not wearing masks when you're indoors with large groups of people, when health experts now are saying, we should wear masks indoors, especially when in larger groups. Inconvenience, minor personal discomfort, even what we now call COVID fatigue, none of those are sufficient reasons to be lazy when it comes to the health and well being of our neighbors. As for climate change, if there is even a remote chance that our actions today could create a better Earth, for those that come behind us, or even for ourselves in our own lifetimes, why wouldn't we want to take those actions? Not caring is not Christian. And it's not merely a political discussion because when political choices, I hope you're listening, when political choices result in the suffering of other human beings, they have ceased being political choices, they have now become moral choices. And those who follow the way of Jesus, we use our freedoms for bringing healing and wholeness and justice and peace. Thanks be to God for the freedoms we enjoy. May we always seek to use them as God intended, as as the Apostle Paul put it, as an opportunity to serve each other with love. Amen.